Welcome to Templo Talk, a Minds MC podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, managing editor of The Playlist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike D'Angelo. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about everything Mayans, which is now halfway through its fifth and final season on FX. And Mike, we got to start by asking about Michelangelo's David. Did you know he had a small penis? Uh, looked big to me. Great. Well, that just means he's uh, an idiot, as we'll find out later. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> For this episode, we're covering the latest installment of mine, season five, which is I Want Nothing But Death, the fifth season, the halfway point. And in this episode, I think we're starting to see things ratchet up quite a bit after four episodes of strong setup. Um, and this episode is highlighted by two scenes for me, which we'll get to, but but one main one, which is Easy and Isaac uh, finally coming to head. And, and confronting each other. Uh, but more on that in a bit. If you're a regular listener, you know how this works. We're going to discuss uh, some of the new episode. Uh, we're going to do things a little differently. We're going to get a little bit quicker through the episode because really uh, there's only like two or three things that that warrant major discussion. And then I'm going to play after that, I'm going to play an interview I have with Frankie Loyal, who plays Hank on the show. Uh, in the interview, we cover quite a bit about Hank, his past, uh, what the character has turned into from being the enforcer of the Mayans to now being uh, what is perhaps the most beloved character or one of the most beloved characters on the series. But before we get to our discussion of the latest episode, I got to tell you that Templo Talk is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes the Playlist Podcast, Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, Mike. We're gonna do this a little, little quicker than usual. Yeah, because we we go we go line by line through this, but we're 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 gonna save you guys that. The basic gist of this is, we are now at the point where things are starting to come to a head. Like I said, Angel, he starts the episode. He has to kill somebody that sends him spiraling even more away from the club. We also get things coming to a head with Lincoln Potter, and then we finally get. Uh, what the crux of this episode is, which is a meeting between the Mayans and the Suns, courtesy of the Grim Bastards, who basically want this to end because, as they said, you're killing the culture um, with your war and you're bringing heat on the rest of us. So the Grim Bastards plan is for Easy and Isaac to meet, to hug it out and to go their separate ways, um, which... Because- course they would hug it out right i was about to say which is kind of a silly plan but you know you got to understand why they want this to happen yeah but before we get to that let's talk about the lincoln potter stuff real quick well real quick also uh creeper finds out that easy is the the rat uh he doesn't believe it at first but he finds out from his girlfriend that that easy is the rat which uh Uh, he doesn't take it very well. He gets it confirmed though. And then there's a scene, um, before we get to the, the sun stuff, there's a scene where creeper confronts easy about being a rat and easy does something horrific where he pretends that a uh, because creeper threatens him. And so easy pretends that, uh, creeper jumped him so that he could be thrown in solitary. Um, and it's a horrific scene, right? Yeah. And a heartbreaking one for creeper. Like, he he's been nothing but loyal and 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 good to Easy, and you know, you you understand how evil Easy has been lately, and and it's hard to be on Easy's side, but the, the wheels got to keep turning on the motorcycle, as they say. Is that what they say on the show? They they say it all the time. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard. <laughs> but yeah, so basically. Uh, creeper says like i'm gonna burn your shit down i can't believe I've, I've sacrificed so much for you easy gets them thrown in solitary and uh 
it, it's all leading to either easy being outed eventually and hoping that the, the mines will forgive him or easy being okay with dying as long as he gets his mission completed. Um, or the worst possible thing would be easy uh, putting out a hit on creeper. Yep. That uh, we finally get some, some resolution on the, the creeper rat thing, which uh, doesn't go well for creeper. We then get some resolution in the Lincoln Potter FBI lady, LNG stuff, which is perhaps the best scene. Not really of this episode. It should be in any other episode. This might be the highlight, but uh, Lincoln Potter basically says to LNG, you guys have been uh, really fucking up lately. Your cookhouse was taken by the Mayans and your put a hit out on a cartel leader who got murdered right in front of his daughter. Uh, What is wrong with you guys? Get your shit together. And then he pulls Miguel aside and says, um, <laughs> here, I'm going to read it. He he asks, he asks Miguel, do you know why Michelangelo's David has a tiny penis? And Miguel's like, what are you talking about? And he says, do you know why the penis was so tiny? Michelangelo's David, a tiny penis was seen as a sign of intellectual superiority. They believed only savages were well hung. It's just sad to think back then I would have just been dismissed as a barbarian. But um. which is (laughs) hilarious and he says you know i've got a big dick you don't nanny nanny boo boo how great would it have been if if someone was on a drum set in the corner of the room and just did that quick like rim shot after (laughs) (laughs) i here's the thing now that you mention it i wouldn't put it past lincoln potter to hire a guy (laughs) to play the drums for that just for that one moment (laughs) <laughs> he's such a weirdo uh but it's only lincoln potter in his in his weird unique self would think that this is such a good insult um yeah. this and is where i'm gonna show him how big of a dick i have listen he won't even know what hit him <laughs> my dick <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's great it's real yeah. great lincoln potter being lincoln potter is always great yeah uh, we then we then get to uh, which I think is the scene of the episode, hands down, which is the Mayans finally go to L.A. to uh, courtesy again of the Grim Bastards to meet the sons in neutral territory. And it's um, it's the scene I was hinting at last week when I said that at the panel I hosted, they showed a scene uh, to the audience there. It was it was basically this scene which got people super hyped and riled up. And uh, we we then we we the scene accomplishes a couple of things. One, it shows that Easy is very steadfast. He only showed up so that he could repeat the same couple lines, which is you know <laughs> the minds are here to, are prepared to accept the sun's full surrender. And 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 Isaac, uh, we come to find out, is there to look at co- look for Coco, and he doesn't see Coco, and that makes Isaac's whole plan change. The trajectory of the entire discussion changes. From Isaac having a blast to Isaac realizing that apparently this whole thing was just to get revenge on Coco. Yeah, he needs vengeance. And and he says to Easy after he realizes Coco is dead and that the sons did it, which he looks genuinely upset with his own people for killing Coco. He says, what am I supposed to do now? Like, who is what is my purpose? This whole thing, I think he says, this whole thing feels futile. Um, and you're just like, oh, wow. Okay. He's having an existential crisis in the middle of a, you know, big gang meeting. He is, he is. And so he, he proposes this thing. He says, well, I'm not leaving until there's 
a body, basically. I'm not leaving till somebody dies. And so he proposes one of those old school one-on-one mano a mano fights between members of the Mayans, one member of the Mayans and one member of the Sons. Everybody assumes that this is Easy fighting Isaac. And so Easy says, uh, well, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fight my guy uh, or I'm going to fight for my people. I told you guys I'd bleed for you. This is how I'm going to prove that I'm going to bleed for you. And Isaac has a great Isaac moment where he goes and he surveys his whole crew, short guy, old guy, young guy, tall guy. And he goes to a short guy and he says, puts his hand on him. And he says like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." And then he laughs and he goes, obviously, I, I would love to subvert expectations, but I'm going to pick my <laughs> seven foot mammoth uh, sons member yeah. to fight. And uh, easy being cocky, easy thinks he can still <laughs> win, right? And so he throws a quick, almost like a sucker punch. The guy just eats it, smiles, and easy says "fuck." And what, <laughs> and what follows is a brutal beating that easy gets. Yeah, all logic would dictate that he would just get the crap beaten out of him uh, as soon as that huge guy was selected. But easy, like genuinely believes he's the savior of the Mayans and that nothing can touch him until that first punch lands and he's like <laughs> yeah and then there's that that fuck moment and he just gets the tar beaten out of him but then he goes to survival mode yeah. gouges the guy's Prison eye yeah. yeah gouges the guy's eye the guy's like freaking out and then easy grabs his head uh his big bald head and smashes it time and time again into the ground and uh yeah it's real gross <laughs> it reminded me uh, of the, this thing in, in movies when you have like a real brutal fist fight or something and you hear it, it's almost like meat, uh, like the sound people make it sound like like packs of meat are getting smashed yep. into the ground. Yep. That's what it sounded like. It's so visceral <laughs> and and easy wins because he's killed a man and he says that he looks at Isaac and easy looks like he was hit by a truck and he goes, there's your blood motherfucker and they leave. Uh, or and Isaac says to him in response, "It is you," and hinting that now he has renewed purpose. His his mission in life is to punish Easy. Um, so, well, just quickly, what do you think of that scene? I I want to see life from Isaac's side. <laughs> like, is he so delusional that he he thinks there's like God has sent him on a path? To, to punishing Coco. And then when that doesn't happen, like easy is now this destiny that he has to fulfill. It's very interesting that he has this like delusion going on. It's almost as if he has like, I, this sounds reductive and it's not, but it's almost like he has nothing else going on and he needed some <laughs> sort of purpose. Right. And probably the truth. And, and, and in season three, he had purpose. If you listen to my interview with, with J.R. Bourne, who plays Isaac, he mentions like this obsession that Isaac has with Coco. And it was this weird obsession in season three. He was really like linked to, to Coco. It was like this weird love almost. Mm -hmm. And when Coco shoots him and betrays him and leaves, it, it you have to just imagine Isaac just spiraled yeah. uh, all of season four when we didn't see him. And yeah. And he just was like, oh, I have to, I have to do this. I have to get revenge. And that's when he started at the end of last season with, with Manny burning him alive. And, and now this war against the, the Mayans, which, you know, we've seen a lot of wars 
in the Suns and in Mayans. And a lot of it is down to money, territory, drugs, survival, whatever. And Isaac picked a war, one of the bloodiest over, you know, this petty revenge. Yeah. I, I, there are two spinoffs I want to see so far with this season. Okay. <laughs> and one, one is Isaac, you know, uh, just kind of because he's crazy and I, I want to see how demented they could make it if they put someone like that at the center of a, sh- of a series uh, and two bottles in Elio, obviously it'd be like a, <laughs> a weird breaking bad, but instead of them being like sinister and going into the darkness of the business, I'd want them to just kind of bumble their way through su- succeeding in the drug trade. Like yeah. With fentanyl. It would be o- hilarious. Almost like, uh, almost like Noho Hank and Barry. Exactly. Like where, where very we upbeat. Yeah. Oh, I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. <laughs> it would just be so sweet to see Elio and Bottles kind of develop this friendship and and Bottles kind of leaving the Mayans uh, and 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 venturing on his own. Um, yeah. That would be nice. And almost but, just have this superpower of luck where they just keep failing upwards and, yeah. you know, succeeding. I love how uh, I, I, you know, it's not meant to be a joke, but it kind of is at this point. Every time somebody comes to the Mines Clubhouse, Bottles is there with a like an AR-15 aimed right at them, and he just <laughs> he's looking to shoot somebody, right? Like he he's such and, and well, he's, he's scared like, to death. He's almost shaking. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He's so <laughs> he's so scared that he's shaking at the idea of like I might have to kill somebody. Um, <laughs> I almost hope he doesn't have to. Right. Uh, yeah, you don't want to corrupt bo- poor Bottles. Yeah. Uh, but but for your Isaac spinoff, I think that would be fascinating. Uh, I think Isaac is as good as dead. Um, yeah, I just guess. one way or another, Isaac's not surviving this. So mm-hmm. uh, it can't be. A I don't sequel. know who's going to survive this season. To be That's completely true. honest, That's true. Um, but but yeah, let's let's talk about the end. So after this like mammoth scene, we get uh, easy gets cleaned up. Sophia helps him, and we we didn't really mention it, but but Angel's mission in this episode was really to to get continue his mission to get easy to stop what he was doing because it's going to get everybody killed. But also Miguel confronts him and says, um, look, I know you burned down the drugs. Dun, dun, dun. And candid camera. And I know you guys took on the cookhouse. Dun, dun, dun. But I'm not going to kill you. You just got to get easy to stop this. And angel tries with easy. It doesn't work. Angel tries with Sophia. It doesn't work. And now it's down to easy and angel having a confrontation, which we presume is next episode. Right. And, uh, and the, the big cliffhanger of this episode is Isaac with renewed purpose, uh, goes after Letty and hope, um, because of his meth mountain connections, he finds hope. And he says to Letty, your father took something from me. Uh, and now you're going to have to do something for me. Yep. And, uh, we don't know what it is, but, it's Isaac and it's going to involve death and terrible shit. So, yeah, absolutely. Needless he'll, to say, he'll bring the baking soda. Don't worry. He'll bring the soda. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, Letty and Hope are now uh, way, way over their heads um, <laughs> as if they weren't before. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> any any last parting thoughts about this episode? We, we wanted to be this do this a little quick so we didn't spend 45 minutes talking about it. So. Yeah, I do just want to shout out the moment that we didn't cover with with Emily and Patricia Devlin, yes. the FBI lady, because there's this amazing little monologue that she has about what being a mother is like. And that is a really great spotlight moment for Emily in this season. 
Yeah, she basically, uh, the, the FBI lady says to her, you know, she insinuates that being a mother is, she she asks Emily, what am I missing? I'm not a mother. I don't plan on being a mother. What am I missing? And Emily says, you know, everybody thinks that being a mother makes you soft because you have this like deep, deep love for your your kid. It's something that you can't control and it's scary. But she says uh, what it does, what they don't talk about is how how you will do anything or mm-hmm. how dark you'll go to keep your child safe, which shows again, it, it shows that Emily is, is truly a super strong character. Um, but also it shows why she is putting up with so much shit um, <laughs> and why she has done so much shit to, to stay close to Cristobal. And it's completely believable. You need no yep. more explanation. Nope. Right. So, so Mike, thank you for, for this quick discussion. Uh, episode six, the, we're in the back half of the season now airs next week. Um, we, it's, it's really all starting to come together. So, uh, should be fun. Yeah. I predict more death. <laughs> wow. Hot take Mike <laughs> over here. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, stick around. Also, I got my interview with Frank Loyal coming up next. Really, honestly, if you're a fan of Hank, listen to it because uh, we talk quite a bit about where he thinks Hank came from before Mayans and and why Hank is how he is. And and if he thinks Hank and, and Nails are are going to uh, sit in a tree in K-I-S-S-I-N-G. So. <laughs> I've, I've seen some interviews with you. When you talk about your past, you mentioned coming up in the punk scene uh, when you were younger. And I've talked to Elgin quite a bit about this in the past as well, about his history in, in punk rock. And I know he likes to incorporate that, like a lot of history of his uh, of his actors in the show and into their characters. So do you think Hank was a punk rock kid back in the day? Because we don't really know much about him when he was younger. And uh, how has how your, your punk background kind of contributed to, to Hank as a character? I think, you know, Elgin and I actually talked about this in season one. Um, I don't know if people know this, but Hank actually came out from Oakland. Uh, Alvarez sent him down with Bishop. Uh, there was a patch over with the uh, another Southern Kelly uh, club. And, you know, I was like, I couldn't see Hank being uh, an ex-gangbanger the way they originally had, had kind of brought him up. I'm like, because if he was part of that life, there's no way he was going to hop teams and become a, a club member. And I said, um, I see him being more as one of uh, one of those traditional, you know, skinheads, you know, the oi boys, the, um, you know, uh, guys that like to beat up Nazis, you know, he was that guy because he liked the brawl and he had that in him. But I think, you know, we, we, we talked about a backstory about it being a possibility. And I think, I think that whole influence, my, you know, my experiences growing up in, in that scene were very crucial to Hank just because of, you know, Hank was all about it no matter what. And I kind of feel like that when it comes to, you know, punk rock scene. It's seen some highs and lows and some good music and some questionable music. But, uh, you know, it's in them. It's in me. So I visited the set in April. And while I was there, I was walking by your trailer and I noticed you were like the only guy who's got his motorcycle parked out front of his trailer. And and I know on on your social media, you're you're heavily involved in like uh, biker charities and whatnot. So I'm curious what your experience was with motorcycle culture before Mayans. Well, you have a lot of guys. Uh, you know, I, I actually think of a lot of the traditional skinhead types that were into the original Lambrettas and Vespas and scooter culture. I think, much like myself, 
I think we wanted something that kind of was a parallel in some respects, uh, a little more aggressive, a little more, you know, fierce or something about being on a Harley as opposed to a, you know, a Lambretta when you're trying to, you know, do your thing. But, but for me, it was always, I saw guys evolve into clubs. So it wasn't um, outside the norm to, to see people want, you know, because, you know, growing up with punk rock and, and scenes and crews and, you know, you have that camaraderie, you have that, that, you know, that group mentality sometimes that you want. And if it's in you, I don't think it ever leaves you. Sometimes it's for the better. It's for the worse as you evolve, as you age. But, um, you know, I, I was definitely, you know, I wouldn't say exposed to it. I, I grew up around it, you know, when I was a kid. So. And I want to talk about Hank now as a character. He's turned into, somewhat surprisingly, I think for myself and for fans, into one of the most lovable members of the Mayans, which says a lot for a character that's kind of the enforcer, right? He's the the guy who gets shit done. When we started to dig deep into Hank's home life in season three, did you realize that he would become kind of the the lovable Mayan that he is today? Yeah, it, it's weird. It's a process. It, it picks up daily. You know, there's certain discoveries and changes that you have with your character. I always thought Hank was the guy people are seeing now, but he's one of those uh, people who was, you know, he's very, um, he doesn't say a whole lot. He internalizes a lot. So he's just one of those people that he doesn't want himself to be read so much, except when it comes to the club and within the realm of his club brothers. But even from them, he has a, a private side that I think that's his balance or his humanity. I've always seen it myself. But it was one of those things, I think, that was actually brought full circle. Now people are getting him a bit more as opposed to just the quiet guy with, you know, the, the subtext, the looks and the glances. And I think they, they say a lot as well. But and it was kind of tough to get in, you know, to kind of finally convey that. Well, that's what I want to talk about now, because like I said, you've been acting for a while now. But uh, I feel like the last three seasons, you've really been bringing a new level to uh, to Hank through your performance. And instead of being kind of what we saw in season one, as you were hinting at, like this stoic, hard-ass type of guy, he's now turned into kind of a badass with a heart of gold. And how has that been kind of not only being asked to be that action, you know, stoic guy, but also to have those emotional moments so often now? Well, this is where Elgin is. I always say it. I, I think he knows not just his characters, but he knows us as people. And I think he test the waters with us to, you know, kind of go there, so to speak. The crazy thing is um, for a guy that's so busy as Elgin having a hundred things to do at once, you know, per episode, um, he knows us. And I felt like there was so many parallel storylines that were happening in my personal life that were happening with Hank. So it was almost like they were playing, playing themselves out more than I even want to admit that. But, it happened. I mean, things that'll be revealed, you know, as the season goes on, but it was a little too close to home and it was my only way to kind of bloodlet it. And uh, I'm glad I had the chance to do that, but I still feel like I'm coming down from that. I'm not quite, quite out of the, you know. 
you've had some some pretty heartbreaking and emotional scenes that I think have stuck with fans over the years. Um, for me, a couple that that come to mind are um, the scene where both in season four, but there's a scene in the opening episode of season four where you're on the phone as all this craziness is happening with the club getting attacked. You're on the phone with your mom, just trying to have like a nice conversation. Then there's another one where you go and you visit uh, Steve the Prospect's family and de- deliver the cut. Are there is there any moment where you've had to show that that real emotional side of Hank that that sticks out to you as is one of those kind of like perfect moments to showcase who he is as a person? I think so. That scene that you talked about, you know, the phone call to my mom. Uh, you know, I hadn't talked to my mom for some years. Uh, so the the first time I was, you know, we were introduced to my mother in season three. Uh, I felt a connection, you know, with my mom on screen, mom, but. Over the over that uh, time between that season, the beginning of fourth, I was reconnected with my mom. And when I did that scene, it was uh, you know I was in blood for about a month in the freezing cold. You know I just sat there for pretty much a month. But I remember telling Elgin, "Hey, you know we're gonna go we're gonna go deep in this. Can I call my mom real quick, like my real mom?" And uh, I got a call, and she had no idea what was going on, and I was able to you know kind of laugh. She was asking me almost similar questions as you know my on-screen mom. And, and uh, I was almost able to kind of fall into that and, and feel comfortable. And there were certain emotions that went along with that conversation, but I was able to delve back into, you know, the Hank version. And, and it was almost, it was easier to go dark, to go painful or whatever, because I had that balance of talking with my mom. You know, it, it, that was a weird one for me. That was, uh, it was a lot, you know. <laughs> It's funny because I I spoke with uh, during season four, I spoke with Clayton and I said that like if there was an Emmy for phone calls, you you should nab that because of that that phone call you had with your mom, because that that is one of the most like it's equally heartbreaking and sweet. It's yeah, I just I really enjoyed that moment. Hey, thank I appreciate that. Wow. Clayton, I love you. Thank you. That was really (laughs) wow. Yeah. So let's talk about season five. This is the final season. The Mayans are in a brutal war with the Suns. People are dying. Drugs are being cooked. But Hank is is kind of on the hunt for love, right? And <laughs> is he? He is a little bit. Because in episode four, we see that that Nails is brought back as the aerobic instructor of Hank's mom. Uh, and I, I I say that we saw Hank blush. I don't know if you can confirm that or not, but. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I've heard different things, you know, people that I know personally, and then, you know, fans write in and I don't know if that was a moment of love. And if it was, I, I believe this, you know, since, since uh, season three, you know, very rare will you find a man who loves a woman so much that he doesn't see her as a flawed human being. You have this woman who was pregnant with another man's baby. He didn't even know who the father was, but he just loved her. He wanted to nurture her. He wanted to, he really wanted to take care of her. And I think for me watching it, um, and I don't know where it's going to go, but it was almost like, I still love you and it's there, but it, is it romance? Is it, I love you for who you are. I love you for who you've become. You know, to me, it was a million things. But what I did like about it was a lot of the fans on the websites are starting to call her Stephanie now, not, not Nails. Yes, yeah, she is Stephanie. I, I think Nails is just a tougher name. I, I like calling her Nails. But but in all truth, you know, and this is a thing that I, I love about Justina because we're we're very close. You know, we we talk the next day, but you know, she can bring this boyish kind of 
John Husey, Ducky, you know, Molly Ringwald, Pretty in Pink sort of element out of me. She has this superpower. And um, so I think it played naturally. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that one out, but it was definitely, um, it was real. It didn't feel like we were acting, I'll tell you that much. As we've seen, uh, I think in season five, we've seen this primarily with Angel, but I think Hank is starting to show signs of this as well, where there's, I think Hank is discovering that there's more outside of the club than he originally thought. You know, obviously he's got his mom there, but his mom's health isn't so hot. And, you know, he's reconnecting with Stephanie and uh, I'm starting to to get the feeling that maybe Hank has those kind of conflicting feelings about what he wants his life to be. Um, do you feel that that Hank would ever uh, start looking outside the club for a, for a better life or is he just 100% in, in it? Not a chance. Uh, I think the difference with some uh, Hank, you know, as opposed to Angel, I, I think they both have their own moral compass on not even in that world. I don't believe it's about right or wrong. I, be, I believe it's about what is righteous. And with Hank, I think I see a more of a frustration and a, and a disheartening of, of the state of affairs of the club, because you, you not only have the war with what's going on outside within the club, but or outside the club, but there's a war within the club and everybody's got their own internal battles they're fighting. But also I, I was noticing that Bishop and Hank were shooting each other a lot. They're, they're questioning what's going on. And the questions you can't, they almost can't hide their reactions. Like, you know, we're supposed to trust our, our fearless leader, but there's something going on. You know, we can't quite put our finger on it. And, you know, the last thing anybody wants to do is believe that they're being betrayed by somebody that they put their, their life in their hands. So I think that's what it is. But also with the damage that we've done to ourselves, my mother's suffering from it. I mean, she's in a rest home and part of me is thinking, well, she's protected there, but you know, who knows? Isaac breaks all the outlaw rules. He, he could, you know, harm my mom. So it's just this helpless sort of, we got to get through this. It's all club business. You know, Hank would not relent on that for sure. One of the things that I thought was interesting in the most recent episode is there's a discussion with, with Angel and the club where Angel's saying, look at us, we're cooking fentanyl now. We're drug dealers. Like this is not what we should be as a club. And there's a moment where Hank kind of gives a look where he's almost nodding, like like he kind of firmly believes that. I think that speaks to what you were saying with kind of the war within the club and and Hank kind of coming to terms with the way the club's changing. So what did you think about that moment? And do you think that that Hank is, at least in this part, having a bit of a, like a conflict inside, you know, struggling to be a drug dealer and a motorcycle club and a brother and all that? I think there is that hesitation because fentanyl kills, I mean, it kills people easily. It's, it's an ugly, ugly drug, but also to have that, you know, within the realms of your, your clubhouse, which is your sanctuary. Um, I think there's that one point where, yeah, this is not okay. This is something that we've really exceeded, but we're also desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I want to, I, I got to have that money. I got to take care of my mom. That is my priority more than myself, more than anyone or anything. I'm a, I mean, also the club, but we got to get through this war as hell. It's not going to be pretty. You know, we're not, we're not out selling, you know, uh, Christmas candies or, you know, gift cards to everybody. We're, you know, we're in it. We got to get out. So as much as I think he's conflicted, it's like, well, you know, this has to get done. Yeah. But there's a conflict there. Yeah. There's that moment where he, he takes the money and says like, you know, thanks, like this is going to help a lot. And you, it, it does, it feels bittersweet a little bit to me at least. 
of all the characters in Mayans, I feel like Hank is one of those members that fans in general want to have a happy ending because he's turned into such a nice guy that we've seen. What do you, I don't think that happy endings kind of exist in the world of Mayans, but, but what do you think is kind of, if you had the, the ideal happy ending for Hank in mind, what do you think that kind of would look like? I don't know if a year, I agree with you. I don't know if it's so much a happy ending. It's not that kind of show, but I think if any of our characters can find a small measure or a, a lasting peace within the confines of that reality, that would be something to hope for. You know, if it's a death, maybe a quick death, maybe a glorious death. That's what I would hope for more than anything. Nothing, um, <laughs> you know, people die in that world like, like crazy on our show. So there's no point in glamorizing it, I guess. But I would just hope that Hank finds peace, whatever that is. You know, maybe within himself, with his mom, or, you know, maybe a love interest. But I, I don't know if he's he's beyond that at, that, at, this, at this point in time. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I have to ask because I, I, I find this fascinating when I talk to any member of the cast, but somebody, somebody like you, who I think people are going to, uh, you're going to be Hank in the eyes of a lot of people for probably the rest of your career. What do you, what do you think about that in terms of, you know, going out in public and people yelling at you as, Hey, Hank, Hank, uh, is that exciting, intimidating? What's that like for you? It happens a lot lately. <laughs> I was in I was in uh, downtown LA in a back alley walking to you know go look at, at a motorcycle with my friend Sharon and uh, some people ran off a bus and you know they were family really nice nice family it it catches me off guard a little bit because I always say I'm, I feel like we're so immersed in the work when we're doing it in the production of it that uh, I forget that it goes out in the universe I mean that's just kind of because I'm so uh, fixated with the work aspect of it that. I forget that the, we do a TV show for the rest of the world to see. So when that happens, I'm like, oh, wow, you, you know, you, you're like me one time, you know, you rush home from work or wherever because you want to watch our show. That means a lot to me. It, it, I'm still, still trying to get used to that. I don't know if I ever will, but that's, that's the truth, you know? Yeah. If we've seen anything with how the fandom for Sons of Anarchy has, has lasted this long, I have to assume that, that the love of Hank will will last on for a long time. So I think you're going to have to get used to it eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're punk rock guys, right? So we see things a little, you know, it's not like this glamorous, Hey, how you doing? How's the kids kissing baby shaking hands? It's kind of a, it's a, it's an adjustment, but, a, but a nice one. So I, I'm, I'm all about it. I like Elgin did art to bring people together. And the fact that we get the extension of meeting people through that, I'm all about it. It's, it's changed me a little bit. I've had to come out of my shell a little bit. That's great. So thank you so much, Frankie, for speaking with me. Uh, I think everybody is excited to see where Hank goes in season five. Uh, sad to see him go, but excited to see what happens. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care.